Hello, and welcome back to Dark Stories from the Campfire, and our second part of our anniversary story. For this episode, we continue on with our three companions, as another one of our travelers tells a dark tale concerning her mistress. We present to you, Anniversary Party, Part 2. As the sun vanished beneath the horizon and the moon rose higher, the three companions sat without speaking and listened to the fire and the soft sounds of the forest around them. The farmer had finished his tale of dread and sorrow and his final words hung between the three of them before fading into the evening air. Presently, the undertaker took up a stick and began poking at the ground around him. Fine tale, my dear farmer, he said at length. Fine story indeed. The farmer merely nodded, looking back and forth between the other two for further reactions. When there are none to be had, and the farmer, growing more drowsy by the minute, sank into his sleeping mat, placing his arms behind his head. Finally, it would be the maid who broke the silence and sat up, saying, I suppose it is my turn to tell my story, just as our friend the farmer had just done. And taking a deep breath, she began. And thus we begin the maid's tale. I was sixteen or thereabouts when I left home and entered the service of my first mistress and her husband. They were young enough, possibly only about a decade older than myself, and together they had a beautiful little boy who would spend many hours playing his drum throughout the house, only stopping when his mother would politely ask him to cease, and in return, the child's response was always, yes, mommy, before he would drop the drum and head off to the yard in his swing. Overall, the couple was nice. Never once was I nor any of the other servants mistreated or humiliated, and each Friday morning, without fail, we would line up to collect our wages, where both husband and wife, elegantly dressed, would bow and thank us for another fine week. When it came to extravagance and maintaining the most current style and fashions, the couple was no different than any others in their financial means. For the beginning of each season, trunks of clothes would be delivered from all across the region, as well as from lands further away and our day would be spent packing and disposing of the now older wardrobe while setting and hanging the newer in the various closets scattered throughout the house. Rarely was there a cause not to have some sort of social gathering for the wide range of visitors that would inevitably find their way into the manor with the free food and drink. Not that the couple minded either way. They rather liked the attention, actually, and there was nothing more that pleased my mistress than playing host to the various social engagements. This was certainly the case when a message arrived one afternoon. I had just finished dusting the library and meticulously placing the small porcelain statues back on their bases when I heard my mistress scream out in excitement, calling my name. Quickly I made my way up the stairs and into our room where I saw my mistress casually spinning in the center of the room, all the while reading a letter clutched in her hands. Oh, wonderful news! It appears my longest and most dearest friend is finally returning from a year-long trip overseas, my mistress told me. And, she emphasized, holding out the letter for me to see, she'll be here next month. Again, my mistress screamed in excitement, then raced downstairs to inform the rest of the staff of the news and to begin coordinating the arrangements for a friend's arrival. It was the following day when I was in the village completing some errands when I first heard the rumors concerning a dressmaker who had arrived earlier that morning. And since the news of his arrival was so new, well, so new in fact that not even his name was known, I could only pull the smallest details out from a few individuals who were able to provide answers to my questions. However, once I returned to the manor several hours later, the news had already penetrated the household, 
and whatever details were unknown in the town were now no longer a secret. Not only was my mistress more informed of his arrival, but had already sent a card requesting a meeting. Yes, apparently he's from the village of Pure, which, as you know, produces the finest of tailors, my mistress told me later that evening, and from what I hear, he only designs and sells one dress a year. I couldn't help but feel her excitement. She continued on, telling me he generally plies his trade in the east, and this was his first and possibly only visit to the northern regions. Can you imagine, my mistress finally concluded, creating such a fine dress that only one per year is needed? And its creator will be here tomorrow. How envious would everyone be to see me wearing such elegance? I agreed with my mistress, that if she were indeed able to persuade the dressmaker to award her the dress, great luck and many benefits, as well as jealous shock from others in her social circle, would enhance her life. The conversation at this point had ended, so I bade her good night and retired to my room. The dressmaker arrived promptly at the appointed time the next morning, and as a greeting, I immediately bowed and kissed the hand of my mistress once she entered the room. Not far behind the dressmaker was another man, short in stature with an odd disposition, who, while the dressmaker was clothed in the high fashion of the times, was simply dressed and did not look the part, looking as though he was more comfortable working in the yard than cutting fabric for dresses. The only item that would have connected the dressmaker and the small man, who would later be introduced as his assistant, was a thick pair of gloves each of them wore. When the formal salutations were out of the way, my mistress invited her guests to the den for breakfast and conversation. Unfortunately, during the duration of this conversation, I was pulled away to another part of the house to complete other duties, only able to return long after the breakfast had ended, where I once again saw the dressmaker bowing deeply, saying, It would be my absolute honor for you to wear my dress, madame, before exiting the house with a small assistant. I would later find out that my mistress hadn't needed to use much persuasion at all on the dressmaker, for he was instantly smitten by my mistress in the vastness of her and her husband's estate. For the assistant's part, all his contribution was to say, my lady is the correct size, after all. And that was that. The dress would be sent over within a month, once the dressmaker's fees had been received. I don't have to tell you how much excitement ran through the house over the following weeks, for not only did my mistress watch the road each time she passed by a window, hoping to catch a glimpse of a delivery carriage, but the house was being primped and polished in preparation of the arrival for our employee's guests to celebrate the return of my mistress's dear friend, which so happens to be taking place on the very day they had met and became friends. And when just before the anticipation proved to be too much, my mistress had taken to pacing up and down the halls, rubbing her hands, a message was received. The dress had arrived. The box was disappointingly bland, containing only a simple red bow tied around the edges and holding down an envelope which was tucked in one of its corners. My mistress, upon seeing the box in her room, looked as though she was about to cry to see such a dismal sight. After gazing upon the dress box for several moments, she let out a sigh, plucked the envelope from its edge, pulled the ribbon, and opened the box. Whatever sadness my mistress had initially expressed faded away entirely as we laid eyes on the most radiant golden dress either one of us had ever seen, for each intricate plate seemed to bend and glimmer on its own. It was several minutes before we were able to remove our eyes from the wondrous object in the box and open the envelope to read the letter inside. Madame, the message began, I would like to express my gratitude once more for agreeing to adorn my dress to your party. 
as I'm sure your beauty and grandeur will complement the dress beyond all reason. However, to maintain its beauty, there are a few rules I insist you must follow. The first, the dress should not be worn until an hour before any social occasion. The second, any maids or servants that are required to assist you in getting ready should at all costs wear a pair of thick gloves, as the material is soft and reflective, meaning a single smudge from a finger will be noticed. The third, the brooch of the Popus Joan contained at the bottom of the box should be worn directly above the bust line and to the left. Following these instructions will preserve the dress in its most purest form. I must also mention, due to the creation process and the placing of the gold material, chalk is used. And while most of it had been removed before delivery, there might be some minor residue containing within the dress. But you needn't worry about that. In closing, the dress is now yours. Honor it, and it will honor you back. Looking one last time down the box, my mistress pulled the lid back over it, declaring the dress mustn't be touched until the proper time. That is, until the day of the dinner party for her friend. As the dress was being carefully placed in the closet, another message arrived. This one announcing the guest of honor had safely arrived in town and would be more than pleased to accept an invitation to dinner the following evening. It was early afternoon when the first guest began to arrive. By now the fact that my mistress had not only won over the dressmaker, was also going to debut his one and only dress that year, enticed the guests to arrive earlier than the scheduled time, hoping they might catch a glimpse, however small or fleeting it might be, of the dress before anyone else, and therefore become the center of attention, for at least until my mistress reveals herself upon the stairs. All was in vain, though, for the dress stayed in his box until precisely 6.30 that evening, an hour before the dinner was set to begin, as per the dressmaker's instructions. Shortly before 7.30, the announcement was made that my mistress's friend, our guest of honor, had arrived. She, of course, was greeted with much adulation, with many raising their glasses to toast her safe return, and for a brief moment all attention was laid towards her. But soon all eyes were fixated at the top of the stairs as a bell rung and my mistress descended the staircase, dressed in a long, flowing golden dress. Not a soul moved or spoke, but stood there frozen holding their food and drink. It was several moments of silence before an eruption of applause filled the room, with guests shouting all manners of compliments. By the time she had reached the bottom step, the friend of my mistress had pushed her way through the thick crowd to greet and embrace her dear friend. However, before the friend could wrap her arms around my mistress, she quickly stopped, and a look of shock crossed her face. Where did you get that dress, she asked, with a hand raised to her mouth in horror. I saw the exact same dress six months ago, worn by the daughter of a government official. My mistress, concerned about her friend's less enthusiastic reaction, told her about the dressmaker who had arrived in town a month prior. The friend shook her head and urged her to remove the dress as soon as possible. When my mistress, now slightly panicked, asked why, her friend replied, The daughter of the official also bought a dress from what was supposed to be a famous dressmaker. However, a few hours after placing herself within the dress, she suddenly fell ill and mysteriously died later that night. And because her death was so sudden and under such mysterious circumstances, though some believe it to be poison, she was quickly buried with the dress still on. And though I was unable to attend the funeral, the last I heard before leaving to come home was her burial site had been broken into and the dress stripped from her body. My mistress fell speechless and almost tumbled backwards upon the stairs, with a few of the guests catching her before she fell. 
As I stood there watching my mistress trying to breathe, I remembered the odd instructions from the dressmaker and the gloves and the chalky substance. But before I could react and ask for help, my mistress had completely collapsed to the ground. Quickly she was rushed to her room, where an hour later she would be dead. Much like the government official's daughter, my mistress too was buried quickly and with the dress still on. It was not long after that that a report reached the manor that my mistress's tomb had been disturbed and her body disinterred. And though the jewelry was left untouched, the dress, however, had been stripped from her body. And thus ends the maid's tale, and part two of our story concerning the three companions, that is, a farmer, a maid, and an undertaker.